How can we bridge the practices of water sanitation with respect to current developments in science and the spirituality behind it? So, this is an unusual type of question to come up in satsang, but it's something that is so deep and dear to the, the work that we're doing that although it's not traditional satsang type of question, I'm actually quite happy to take it because the earth is us. And a lot of us think of things like water, sanitation, preservation as, as somehow separate from our spiritual practice. But our work in the world, our impact on the world, the ripple effect of my life on the world, well, that is my spiritual practice. It's not my meditation over here and my impact on the world over there. My impact on the world is deeply and directly connected to my meditation and a direct result of my meditation or my lack thereof. And water is something that is such a beautiful symbol, you know, with the work that we do with water, it's so beautiful to share about it because water as a very specific aspect of life, as a very specific property, a physical aspect, is also the symbol of our oneness with all. Water is not just an element. It's not just what we need to drink and irrigate our farms with. Water actually is what our bodies are made of. And if you look, if you look at a globe, you become acutely aware, if you watch one of those beautiful science shows on Discovery or National Geographic of people who have gone to outer space and what they see from outer space, you see that really what the Earth is, is just kind of pieces of land that seem to be from outside floating in water. But it's really almost all water. That's why it's called the blue planet. So we are mostly water. The Earth is mostly water, both that which is visible and that which isn't visible. So the water that runs beneath us, our groundwater, isn't visible, but it's there. Before we had faucets that you just turned on and water dripped out of them, people had to dig. They went out and they dug in the land outside where they lived until they hit water. So there's water flowing beneath us, sometimes a few inches, sometimes a few feet. But that water table is there. So it's in us. It's beneath beneath us. It's what runs through the rivers into the oceans that connect us. When you look at our breath, 
we're not just inhaling and exhaling oxygen and carbon dioxide, but there's actually water vapor as well. And so for me, from a, a spiritual perspective, the perspective of yoga and union and oneness, if you needed a physical substrate of oneness, it's water. If you needed a physical element that, that shows how we are interconnected, it's water. Water is me. Water is you. Water is that which flows between us. So when we look at the, the question of the science and spirituality between what's happening with water and the new advances, well, it's, it's science and it's spirituality. It's spiritual science, scientific spirituality. And again, there really isn't any place that the two shouldn't overlap when they are both in their deepest element. So science, science is not inherently something that shuts out the natural world. Science actually is, at its best, a way of understanding the natural world, our way of interacting with, connecting with the natural world. We're able to say through science, ah, OK, so this is the, the shape of that with which I'm interacting. This is the volume with that with which I'm interacting, the weight of that with which I'm interacting. This is the way that that with which I'm interacting interacts with a different element. Here's how this universe interacts with each other. That's, that's science. What's happened, sadly, is that the field of science has somehow, and I'm not, I'm not sure historically how it happened, but Science has decided that its tools of measurement and knowing are the only tools of measurement and knowing, which is where science has talked itself into a box. Very, very sadly, because science has its tools. And they're wonderful tools, but the tools keep evolving, and there's a lot of new inventions of tools. And every time we get new tools, our scientific knowledge increases, which is great. As long as we don't call that knowledge truth. Because the truth is not something that should be dependent upon the quality of my instrument. And that, that is where science has gone astray, I would say, in recent years, is claiming a jurisdiction over things that really are not its jurisdiction. And so if it can be weighed, if it can be measured, if it can fit in a beaker, or you can see it with a telescope or a microscope, science knows what to do with it. And if it can't, science tends to say that it's, it's invalid or it's untrue. And the dilemma with that, of course, is that anyone who's ever been in love knows love is really very real. But it doesn't weigh anything. It doesn't have any volume or mass or velocity. You can't see it in a microscope or a telescope. With the tools we have, who knows? 
next year somebody could absolutely invent something that could allow us to see love? Why not? We can feel it. But until and unless that happens, it's not considered real. It's not considered valid. So science has constructed itself really into a box in which it has said, this is what we know, and therefore that is what is. And everything else is what we're going to call you know, religion, faith. Said with an you know, academic sneer. And that's really a tragedy because spirituality just has different ways of knowing. Spirituality gives us tools to know that which science doesn't know how to know. So spirituality doesn't use beakers, and it doesn't use scales, and it doesn't use tape measures, and it doesn't use telescopes and microscopes. Spirituality looks within. Spirituality is, you could say, the science of inner space rather than outer space. But has anyone who's ever felt miserable in the midst of having everything perfect around them? Or anyone who's ever felt lonely at a party full of 200 people knows the inner world is actually quite important. And until and unless we know how to manage that inner world, just getting our outer world set is not actually enough. I can surround myself with hundreds of people, but that isn't an antidote to loneliness. I can fill my home, fill my shelves with possessions, but that's not an antidote to depression, sadness, and meaninglessness. And so the inner, inner world is very important. So spirituality tells us how to know that. It tells us how to know our interaction with the rest of the world that's not measurable yet. It'll get there. I'm convinced it'll get there. We can now measure sound waves. We can measure light waves. We can measure microwaves. We can measure so many different types of waves. You can measure electromagnetic waves. Soon there will come a time when we'll actually be able to measure that which we all feel. You feel, you sit in somebody's presence, certain people's presence, and you just feel like, oh, I just want to keep sitting here. It's just so beautiful. There's so much love and peace in this presence. Someday science will understand how to measure that because it is, it is an energy. It is a frequency. And even if it can't, well, that's okay. If it never develops the tools, that's okay. But spirituality and science, when we're talking about water, going back to water, they must overlap because water is both. It's science and it's spirit. Life is both. Life is science. Life is spirit. That which my body is made of, we'll call it science. That which gives it the life, we're going to call that spirit. 
Because one moment after I've died, my body still has all of its parts still in place. The eyes are still there, but there is no one to see. The ears are still there, but no one's hearing. Who is that that sees, that hears? Well, that's the spirit, the self. So our life is both science, the body, spirit, that which infuses the body. So is water. Water is actually impacted spiritually. They've done incredible studies of, and this is just true about water. It's not true that we know yet about other aspects of nature. But you can take a glass of water and have someone hold it and think about an object a very specific object. So let's say I'm thinking about a banana. So I'm going to hold this, I'm going to hold this glass of water and I'm going to think for 10 minutes about a banana as focused and concentrated as I can. And at the end of those 10 minutes, and I haven't told anybody that what I'm thinking is banana, but at the end of those 10 minutes, I'm going to take a piece of paper, write banana on it, fold it up so you can't see it, and tape it to the outside of this glass. I'm then going to hand the glass to you. And you're going to hold the glass for 10 minutes, trying as best as you can to tune in to what is in this water. And they've done this as scientific experiments. And what they've found is, I'm forgetting the numbers at the moment, but There's millions, literally millions, of nouns in the English language. And out of those millions of nouns, it's like a million, I think it was, of nouns that are actually very specific things, that actually have a shape and a size and a color, a tangible aspect of it. And so you think about the probability of Elise guessing exactly the same noun that I was thinking of. One in a million, literally. But what they found was that the rate of people getting it right was about one in six, which is amazing. There is a power of water that actually holds energy. This is how homeopathy works. If anybody's ever taken homeopathic medicine or studied homeopathy, in that water that gets poured on sugar pills that you stick under your tongue, in that water there actually isn't any scientifically discoverable trace element of anything. Measure those sugar pills by any way that you want. And pretty much other than sugar, there's nothing in them. And yet, they work. How do they work? Because into that water, the way that homeopathy works is into that water, they actually put whatever that plant or herb or element that is being used. And they move it around. It gets vibrated. 
in such a way, activated in such a way, and then diluted in such a way, that what's left in the water is just the energetic impression. And the water holds it. They don't do it in milk. They don't do it in beer. They don't, I mean, there's, there's something very, very specific about the property of water that does this. So water is, water is energy. It's life. So when we talk about working for it and protecting it, there's an infinite number of ways that you could go into that. Go in from spirit. We're protecting that which unites us. We're protecting the, the physical substrate of spirit on planet Earth. Go in from the perspective of love. Well, more people are suffering and dying every day from lack of clean water than from all forms of violence combined. So if I said, raise your hand if you think that war should end, right? Would anybody not raise your hand? If I said, raise your hand if you think terrorism should end. Raise your hand if you think domestic violence should end. If you think violence against anybody of any gender or any color or any religion or any sexual orientation should end. Anybody who doesn't think that should end? But actually, more people, as I said, are dying due to lack of clean water than from all of that violence combined. And so every one of us, as committed as we are to ending war, to ending terrorism, to ending violence, should be as committed to protecting and preserving the water on our planet. And from a purely practical standpoint, it's a lot easier to preserve water than it is to end terrorism. In terms of the, the impact that most of us sitting in this room have in our hands, we've got a lot more of an ability to impact the water on this planet than we do the violence in the Middle East. Should any of us have the power to end that, God bless you. And God give you strength. But most of us, that's just not in our, in our realm of impact in the world. But we do have the ability to impact those who are suffering and dying due to lack of water. Because literally, everything we eat, everything we buy, everything we wear has an impact on the planet's water. And so every day, every meal, every time we order something online or buy something in a store, every time we shop, every time we go to the grocery store, we go to a restaurant, whatever it may be, every moment you have the ability actually to make a choice. And so that's incredible. And that's actually a very spiritual injunction. Because to write a check to an environmental organization once a year or once a month is wonderful. If you have the extra income, do it. But to actually make a change in how we live, 
That requires spirituality. That requires something deeper than just, I'm going to give to charity. That requires the awareness that who I am and what I do is intricately connected with this planet. And so water gives us that opportunity. And so whether you go in from science or you go in from spirituality, that, that is the work that we need to do. By 2040, this is UN statistics, by 2040 the world is going to have half the water it needs. Now tragically, what that probably won't mean is that every single time every one of us reaches for a glass of water, only half the time we'll get one. Chances are most of us will get a glass of water 100% of the time. But what it means is that about 50% of the people on Earth aren't going to get water at all. That tends to be the way, tragically, that our systems of distribution work is we don't cut the same amount from everybody. Those who have the ability, who have the luxury to have, will continue to have. And those who don't will have less. Which means that the decision to do what we can do to ensure that that doesn't happen is a spiritual decision. It's a spiritual decision that says, I am connected to and therefore responsible for everyone else on this planet. I am connected to and responsible for this planet herself. I have come out of her. I will go back to her. There is no place any of us ends and Mother Earth begins. And if you are a meditator, if you are a yoga student, if you are a temple-goer, church-goer, synagogue-goer, mosque-goer, gurdwara-goer, anywhere-goer, if you are spiritual but not religious, if you are anyone who connects on any level to any aspect of spirit in any way, shape, or form, it is incumbent upon each of us to act from that place. And the good news is we all have the ability to do it every single day. And so it's an incredibly empowering awareness. But it's one we can't run from. Well, we can't run from it and call ourselves spiritual. So it becomes a choice for us. If if we are on that path, our relationship with water, our relationship with Mother Earth, our relationship with those with whom we share it must be one that reflects the awareness that we are one with the planet.